Introducing ADT Self Setup, featuring everything from motion sensors to Google Nest Cams. It can be easily installed at your convenience and adapts as your needs change. You can add more products at any time and your system easily moves wherever life takes you. Plus, when every second counts, you can trust ADT's 24-7 professional monitoring. When the most trusted name in home security adds the intelligence of Google, you've got a home with no worries. Go to ADT.com today or call 1-800-ADT-ASAP. Let's get down for eSports! <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Nerf This, the esports show that's coming at you faster than the BamTech streaming deal. I'm your host, Brian Hoff, and I'm joined, as I always am, by Seven. Hello, sir. Well, I don't think it takes much speed to beat that one to the punch. We underachieve here. <laughs> we definitely underachieve. We've got a lot to get to this week. Uh, sponsors are starting to catch on to the esports attitude problem. Owl Stage 4 starts to drag on a little bit as the league looks to expand. And League of Legends Bamtech deal continues to look stranger and stranger by the moment. But first, PUBG is going after Fortnite in an unexpected new way which is in court. It was announced this week that the PUBG Corporation is suing Epic in South Korea due to the similarities between the two games in the battleground genre, which is interesting in a couple of ways. Now, while PUBG did not invent the battleground genre, they get pretty damn close to saying that they invented the battleground genre given player unknowns involvement in mods in the community leading up to the release of PUBG, things that we've seen in previous uh, games within the genre. So uh, this isn't as I saw a lot of like commentary flying around earlier on in the week when this was announced saying that like, Oh, saying they own the genre is a little unfair, but I think it's a little bit more nuanced than that. Yeah, I believe so as well. I mean, when you, the part was like somebody chimed in was like, oh, didn't uh, didn't Epic just steal it from H1Z1 or didn't they both steal it from H1Z1? But it's not really the case because actually H1Z1 uh, licensed the IP from Brendan Green, aka Player Unknown. So they actually went about it that route in terms of paying him so that they could use the format. And I don't think it's, it's hard to say like the genre, which is a hundred people battling out. That's a genre, right? But the actual format of it could be something a little bit different, right? Like they're all drop, dropped out of an airlift. They're all, you know, they have the airdrops. You have all these different things. And so while it's become a genre, it's really become copies of the same thing that he, the IP that he had originally created. So it's, it's a weird gray area um, where sometimes you can say, well, well, it's hard to prove. It's really hard to prove because you can't say like, "Oh, fighting games is just owned by one person, yeah, uh, owned by Capcom or whatever it may be." Um, you you can't really go that route. But it, I think one of the main similarities that they were keying off of too is even Epic announced that in their uh, trailer for uh, Fortnite in in terms of the battlegrounds uh, thing, they they compared it to PUBG. So yep. the comparison is already there itself, admittedly. But another thing that was mentioned, too, is like Epic probably wouldn't have gone down this route if their lawyers hadn't found a way that to keep them out of the fire. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I Well, A, you should read a little bit into the fact that this was brought to court in South Korea and not, say, somewhere in the U.S. I, I don't think this case is, is as strong in certain markets. It's really, really hard 
to draw the line between intellectual property and the general genre. I mean, who's saying that you could have the same like Dota League of Legends debate, right? Like, which came first? Dota was actually, in a very similar fashion, Dota was a mod that existed long before League of Legends as a game existed. League of Legends co-opted that genre, you know, that format into a genre, which then Dota 2 sprung out of and came back from. So it's it's a very similar type situation, and I you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody that would argue that that would hold up in court. And you have a very similar situation here where, like, I don't doubt for a second that Brendan Green created this concept and he licensed it for H1Z1, and that's what led to him even getting this publishing deal to create Players Unknown Battleground in the first place. And Fortnite certainly did not hide the fact, or Epic, I should say, did not hide the fact that Fortnite was a d- directly inspired by it. But I, I don't know that this goes anywhere. Like, this is a real tough one. It is certainly more complicated than it seems on the surface. But I, you have to think about the precedent that this sets if this goes forward in any meaningful way. Like, that's the part that is scary. Because now you're saying, like, to your example... How similar? Like, how similar does a game have to be within a genre? Like, when is it genre versus when is it stealing from the game mechanics itself? Games in general are built on top of this iterative approach to changing the genre, right? RPGs, fighting games, MOBAs, MMOs. Like, it's hard to patent or claim trademark over the general design around a particular genre, right? Because I mean, if you if you go down to feature sets, I mean, uh, the first you know, you could say that rolling dice is a feature, and so no other game can have rolling dice unless they they go to war with you in terms of like legalities, right? And that's just not how it it should be. Uh, and so, it, but the thing that they're trying to boil down to is, did Epic at any point in time take code or anything like that? And that's the things that they have to prove. And I'm sure Epic didn't. And, and but this is just a really sticky situation, right? Because. They uh, use the Unreal Engine, which is owned by Epic, and so they're already in in a way licensed through, or they're uh, uh, they're already in dealings with Epic. Um, Blue Hole is, which is the the parent company for Player Unknown Battleground, and so it, they, <laughs> they could technically, in some way, shape, or form, lose that license and then not be able to use the engine or something random. That would take a crazy uh stroke of having to like really goof something up and then that is probably more contestable in court than actually why you read your eulas right (laughs) right 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 so there's all sorts of things and they may have other deals with epic right um so there's it it, it's kind of like who was it was it like when sony was like suing themselves kind of thing (laughs) in some ways before like you end up having businesses end up being having the same parent company uh suing themselves and it's like who's technically the winner here uh, but it really, it all depends on what kind of deals they have with Epic because they're, they're kind of like, I don't know, biting the hand that feeds in some way, shape or form. And, but it's, it's vice versa. So who knows where this goes? I think it was mostly done in South Korea because that's where Blue Hole is based out of. Uh, and that might be the easier place to try and get it pushed through. But I, yeah, I don't know where this one goes because this is, uh, there's so much gray area and, and so many bad things that could come from this. You mentioned like Dota and, um, just the idea of of a MOBA in general. And I think didn't Valve and Blizzard battle that one out over the Dota name for the longest time because it was a Warcraft 3 mod? Yep, yep. And even that, you know, there was a settlement in that regard. There was not any binding ruling that came down. But you're right, right, there, was, right. there was a lot of discussion around, like, ownerships of parts of that. And what is interesting here, too, to your point, is 
This is a copyright infringement suit. They're not necessarily going after specific stolen code IP type situations like we've maybe seen with like the Uber and Waymo battle over like was actual code runoff and taken. And it is also probably a little bit harder to prove because of the fact that it is built on top of Epic's engine and debating where the engine begins and the development that is unique to player unknown battleground begins also comes into play here. So I don't. This is a tough one. Whether claiming triggered it is that Fortnite is now moving into the Korean market, which, as you mentioned, is where Blue Hole is based, and that is apparently the triggering event in this case. It has caused this um, lawsuit to be filed, but I, I don't see it going anywhere. It may get, it may end up netting Blue Hole some money. Like there is, and very similarly to the the Blizzard situation, there is some value in Epic just ponying up some money to make this go away, and maybe some agreements to control future expansion or future use, or maybe drawing firmer lines around the uh, engine usage or something of that nature. But this resulting in like Fortnite going away in some meaningful way, even in the Korean market, is is pretty unlikely. Yeah, and as I mentioned before, the uh, Tencent actually owns part of both of them in some way, shape, or form. So uh, when I was making the reference of like Sony suing Sony, uh, in a way, this is two companies owned by the same publisher in some way, shape, or form, or at least has rights in China, and with Tencent does. Yeah, they're this will probably just go away. It really will. I think, like you said, because they're trying to get in like the Korean market. That's that's probably maybe that was they had some kind of like verbal handshake thing with like they wouldn't go in that market. Um, and, and so who but I don't even think Epic knew that they were going to get this huge. Yep. And now it's like if they're willing to I mean, they're making like probably like, what, 200 plus million dollars a month off of 300 just, million dollars. Is, the is it 300 now? Month. Yeah. Three hundred. That's up from up like one fifty in January. That's they've 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 already paid January. their uh, hundred million dollar esports prize pool in case you were wondering. Yeah, yeah, and so it, it really is nothing for them. So maybe they are just of the of the mindset, like whatever, we'll give you fifty million, shut up, and we'll keep going. Like it just, it, it's going to make them a ton more money if they do get into the Korean market than probably what they're going to end up paying out in legalities. Yep, and similar to the situation with Blizzard, this is the smacks of a move of a company that's falling behind. I mean, when Blizzard went after the MOBA genre finally after watching former employees of theirs go off and be successful with the genre when dota came around they took the swing at it when heroes of the storm you know was a thing but not really getting a ton of traction in the mobile market and you're basically getting compensated for somebody else building a more successful thing loosely a bit on something you felt like you own and the smacks of that fortnite is continuing to make incredible strides pubg is not talked about as much in you know, general day-to-day conversation as Fortnite is. The Twitch numbers do not lie. Like, Fortnite Fortnite is dominating. The PUBG esports scene has stalled in comparison to what we're starting to see with potential Fortnite. Uh, Michael, or Michael, Mark Cuban actually recently uh, went on the record to talk about Fortnite is the place to be and that it may eventually even supplant games the likes of Overwatch. And that's one person talking, and Mark Cuban talks out of his ass quite a bit, as often as he says something pointed. But these are just all indicators where, like, PUBG definitely is on the defensive at this point, and this is the move that smacks of being on the defensive. I, I think they will get something out of it, but I don't see this being this big dramatic thing that's going to change the landscape of, of those two games or the genres in general. Well, there is an element of having to, like, of, of 
having to protect your IP in some way, shape, or form. So if this could be that maybe they have an agreement with Epic, maybe this is absolutely nothing. That's the reason why it was thrown in to courts in Korea. It was a thing of like, well, we need to protect it. Even if we settle for a dollar, that means that somebody else can't come along and copy it exactly. Because if they don't go after Epic, they've set precedent now that like anybody could do it. Yeah, that very much is the case, right? Like when it comes to copyright and things of that nature, especially these ones where we're not talking about a direct trademark, you do have to defend it. If you don't defend it, it is the exact the same thing of not having it at all. And I'm not sure exactly how that works in Korean law compared to U.S. law, but it's very much you're right. That's kind of what is happening here. And if I'm Epic, it's nothing to, for me to give up. You know, a couple of weeks of revenue from the game to make. Blue hole, shut up. And go back I'm and epic. I'm done with this podcast. I'm just rolling in money. That's it. <laughs> Swimming naked in money. That's all I'm going to do. Like, 300 million. I, I just want to be epic for one month, a week, a day. Like, I'll take it. That's yep, it. Yep. I'm retiring on some stupid John Wick skins. Like, that's what is happening right now if I'm epic. So, somebody coming along with their hand out is like, yeah, sure, whatever. Here's like 20 million. Go away. Like, I'll just make a new popular skin that'll, that'll get sold. That's just the position that they're in right now. And they have, regardless of how you feel about the two games, we've talked about this at length. Fourth Night is way ahead of PUBG right now when it comes to mindshare when it comes to money when it comes to speed of development um and i think to a certain degree their esports aspirations you know we talked in the previous episode about the hundred million dollars is coming down like right now according to mark cuban he feels that every major team is trying to start a Fortnite team in some meaningful way and i disagree that it's going to somehow replace all the more traditional esports but they have all the momentum in the world so here's some money epic or here's some money for you know blue hole piss off. <laughs> That's really kind of where we're at with it. So we'll see how that ends up playing out. But I don't see this having any significant, meaningful impact on on the games in the long term. One thing that does seem to be having a bigger impact, though, is the attitude and behavior of esports players when it comes to sponsorship. So Sports Business Journal had an article this week talking about esports need to win over sponsors in the long term. There has been a non-insignificant amount of drama in the past year, specifically around Overwatch, beyond many other games, that is starting to make sponsors a little nervous about being involved in esports, more so than they have in the past. Sponsorship in esports, whether it is for a league, whether it is for a team specifically, is nothing new. We saw a lot of this happening in CSGO, saw a lot of this happening in League of Legends, long before Overwatch came around. But given the level that Overwatch is trying to operate in, the problems that they have had with players has a bigger impact on the market, right? Like when you talk to mainstream sponsors and their knowledge of what is going on in the esports landscape, it is largely shaped in the last year by Overwatch League, regardless of the popularity of that game compared to other games, because it's the one that is most out there in the mainstream media and getting the most attention from traditional sponsors. And it looks like, at least according to this article, that it's starting to have some meaningful impact on the willingness for non-endemic sponsors to get involved in esports. Yeah, I mean, anytime you have the, uh, I guess you could say, the the general consent around your game or general image of your game kind of preceding what is actually going on in, in the sense of, like, 
well, here's someone who's always doing racist rants or doing some kind of like just crazy stunt, like, I don't know, hitting on 14 year olds kind of thing, right? Like that kind of stuff gets out there ahead of it. And so what you see is a lot of these companies that are especially non-endemics tend to learn about esports or have historically learned about esports and gaming largely through uh, their kids, right? And so when their kids are talking about this and that kind of gets to them, I mean, that's how people, uh, that's how Rick Fox got into uh, gaming. It was his son was all about League of Legends. He's like, what is this? And then next thing you know, he's investing in it. And so even when like Mark Cuban's talking about it, uh, and a lot of these times it, it's coming from like their like their kids uh, uh, kind of bringing it to their attention. And when their kids bring to their attention, like, hey, XQC and the dumb stuff he does, or watching a streamer being rude and who's playing a specific game, sometimes that actually gets uh, stuck in their head. And so when it comes time around, like, do we want to invest in this? And like, no, they're just a bunch of racist, immature kids. Like, why do we want to, we don't want to trust our brand with that. And so you have to watch sometimes. I, the, the fact that Jack in the Box stuck with Dallas Fuel after all the crap, right, is is kind of telling whether or not they sign up for next season would also be telling right but those are the things that uh, can ruin it for you know one person can ruin it for uh, sponsorships across the board for a lot of teams uh, through their actions yep and they they talk about something interesting here where like the esports involvement we're trying to drive sponsors towards more of this data-driven model because the traditional markers that you pointed to are just sending weird or wrong signals within esports right like when you look at are people getting super behind single individual athletes to the degree where it makes sense to sponsor that one maybe in some cases but oftentimes the most popular ones are also the most divisive ones and it makes you hard to do it as a sponsor there's also an esports ecosystem financially that is largely driven by what i would call like phantom money right it is not a tv deal paying teams hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars each and they're getting their share or they're getting their share of merchandise revenue or they're getting their share of ticket revenue the things that tend to drive markers of interest for advertisers right like they want to get on because this has very high viewership and they have a big tv deal and it makes sense for them to get involved these sponsors are the tentpole and the only tentpole in a lot of cases with these organizations right like if you paid $50 million to be part of Overwatch League, you're not making that money back without these tentpole sponsors sponsoring the Overwatch League. That is literally the only thing keeping this ecosystem going. And while sponsorship certainly plays a similar role in traditional sports, it is not the only driving factor. Like, would the teams need to operate differently if they did not have sponsorship money in traditional sports? By Of course. But would they disappear altogether? No, those TV deals prop up leagues in, in pretty significant ways. Uh, you look at the NBA, like it literally drove one of the biggest off seasons in free agency in ever a couple years ago because the TV deal money was just so massive and they just don't have that in esports. So they have to look. It's a very different style of selection of sponsorship. One of the companies they talk about in this article is a company called Fan AI that is literally just trying to say, hey, this basically trying to show you where your audience overlaps with esports and give you that as kind of like a value to reach the audience you and which is not a weird thing to say in the Facebook era anymore, but paying to reach an audience you already have access to, which is very much like the Facebook model, right? Where it's just like, hey, all these people liked you, but we're going to charge you additional money to access right, those people right. who already like you. And that's essentially what is happening here. And I don't know that that's long term a sustainable model for esports to just sell people's fans back to them, right? It's not 
saying, hey, Dr. Pepper, which is the example they use here. Here's more people that might like you. It's more saying, hey, Dr. Pepper, it looks like you and TSM have a lot of friends in common. You guys should hook up. It's like a weird dating app. It's it, it it's just a weird <laughs> swipe right on TSM or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Like swipe right and spend $10 million. It, it's a weird state to be in, but it is something that I think is is somewhat troubling still at this stage. I don't think nobody up to this point has landed a meaningful broadcast deal to the point where those numbers are having a significant impact on the revenue of the organization's BAM tech deal, which continues to be a bit of a mystery is the closest, uh, but we're not, you know, these Twitch deals don't even scratch the surface of the amount of money that's needed to prop up organizations, right? Like look at the, what is it? $90 million for the overwatch league one that's being split across 12 teams soon to be, 18 teams like that's that's a significant like that's not a lot of money no it's not especially when you look at the the cost of uh running a team and whatever it may be and then the production value i mean you we heard repeatedly over and over and over again that riot was like oh we lose so much money on on the actual league which we know I mean, as much as Riot was making money hand over fist with League of Legends, the fact that they still consider it like marketing and that it's they're losing money and now they're trying to you know, franchise it and make money off of it just tells you that there must be a significant amount of money that's going into these leagues uh, and it needs to be offset by sponsors. And if you have a team-level sponsor and that team has players on it like XQC or Pedo Jones, whatever his name was, and they just immediately just, you know, you're, you're ruining that relationship. Because as you mentioned, like some of these brands have crossover people, you know, have, the, have the same kind of fan base that, that, are, that are in both areas, right? And so you're not necessarily selling them back, but you're also trying to enhance or, or you know, further uh, that uh relationship i guess you could say with that brand and so but if if they're they're backing a team and you've got something horribly going wrong with it now they're getting associated with it and that's bad and it's you don't want to see sponsors pulling out from there either yeah it's it's a weird place to be in a lot of ways so we talk about this all the time but it's worth revisiting Sports, traditionally, are the product, right? The NBA is the product that is trying to be sold. League of Legends is not the core product as an eSport. League of Legends is a game is the core product. And eSports still very much sprung out of marketing-type initiatives as viewed as good marketing dollars spent. So the story, no matter how you try to spin it, ultimately comes back to, hey, sponsor, I would like you to basically make our very involved marketing effort that is eSports pay the bill, right? Like, I'd like you to pay the bill for me to have this very unique way of marketing my game. Because in the end... We are still not to the point for any of these, you know, as excited as you can get about Overwatch League and how cool it is as a concept. It is still a very diluted marketing ploy to sell Overwatch League merch, sell Overwatch League as Overwatch is a game. And that is, uh, you know, it's a weird place to be in. You're not selling it as a product in esports based on the numbers right now is not a complete profitable product outside of sponsorships. And that is going to continue to be a problem. And if you add on this extra layer of making it not a safe place to invest, you don't know that investing your money is actually going to lead to you not being associated with a pedophile. And, you know, we make jokes about it, but that is literally the worst thing you could possibly have happen as a brand is like you've got some, you know, kid that is doing horrible, illegal 
immoral things with your on a stream sometimes with your name literally on his shirt in front of hundreds of thousands or millions of viewers. And that is like a brand's worst nightmare. Oh, completely. Last thing you want is to be associated with to catch a predator, right? Like, <laughs> it's like or go to Arby's, get a sandwich and a pair of handcuffs to, from the, the sheriff is going to take you out. Like it just, it's weird. Like you have to, it's one thing that we always harped on, like things like media training, so they're not doing dumb things, understanding that they're always in the spotlight. And so there's a lot of coaching that has to be done from a player standpoint uh, on top of all this. I don't know. We've not really talked about that aspect of when you're trying to entice brands and sponsors and win them over. You need to make sure that one of those things is like, hey, we've coached all of our people that they're never to talk about this or they're never to say this or they're never to uh, DM you know, dick pics, whatever it may be to, yeah, <laughs> whatever it may be, just like you, you almost have to make uh, some people feel or some of your sponsors feel safe in the fact that you're doing it. And, and so right now, Overwatch does not have the record of safely supporting their sponsors in, in there, especially from a team level standpoint. Now, standpoint from an overarching league, that's one thing. Um, if you're on everybody's jerseys, that's no big deal. But like we we've seen in the past, like an athlete does something stupid and they lose like a Nike brand deal, right? Yep. Like those millions they, of dollars, they, like they pull that contract out from under you, right? Right. But it so you don't necessarily see like Nike totally sponsoring the entirety of say maybe a a specific league, but they generally do it on a team level or a player level, and that allows them to back out of it. And you, what you that's another thing you don't want to do is get to the point where. People are, are uh, you're able to kind of build up these narratives around players and then watch it just fall, right? Because that's one of the things that esports has a hard time doing is is finding a player, building uh, uh, you know a, a brand around that player or pumping them up to be like the star of something or other, uh, and then have them get this deal and then have that that crash, right? Like even ninjas taking. Uh, things right now in terms of like no more cursing and all this different stuff trying to like just make sure that he's keeping himself super safe because he realizes that he's now a brand and he's got to watch every single thing he's doing it's super smart it is super smart he is and i don't want to turn this into a ninja conversation but he is and it's gonna be let me finish this before you roll your eyes at me he is the lebron of streaming right now and i don't mean that in that he is as big as lebron or that he's even as good comparatively to his peers as lebron is but he is a businessman as much as he is a streamer. He understands these things, and as silly as it is for someone your or my age to say out loud, there are not a whole lot of people that are taking ownership of their brand in the way that he is. And if I'm him and his wife, I'm going, man, there's a side business, and me just instilling this in esports players and other streamers on a consulting type basis where it's like holy crap you moron you are about to get paid hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars to play video games money christo threw the number out last week that he believes we're only a couple of years away from the first million dollar overwatch league contract people need to step up their game and he can bring that somebody that is actually looking at it as a business first in a lot of ways or at the equal footing with their playing or with their streaming is something that esports desperately needs because we've talked about from the very beginning these non-endemic league-wide sponsorships are great and all 
but ultimately where the money should be, both for esports and for sponsors, is for breakout superstars to come out that you can market separately because people get far more behind individuals than they are going to get behind a specific franchise or the Overwatch League in general. Like sponsoring the NBA is great, right? Like getting your name on an arena is great, but that's not where like the real mind share is. The real mind share is is when Ninja's walking around in Nikes in his signature esport Nike shoe or whatever and making millions of dollars for himself, but also having hundreds of thousands of kids wearing the same thing. That's why sponsors get involved. It's got to go beyond mindshare. You need to start selling product as a direct result for your association with an individual or with a sponsor, or sorry, with a league. And right now, esports is nowhere near being able to provide that. Yeah, you're correct. And, and I, as much as much as I tend to not, not necessarily dump on, on Ninja, just the whole Fortnite Drake thing, whatever it may be, but you're, you're right. I think he's... Uh, he's definitely changed his attitude and how he he's just the the attention that he's getting. He knows he's un, under a microscope, and so he's doing everything he can to try and uh, control that and make sure that he can become that person, right? That the individually being sponsored, and it's not necessarily uh, you know the other thing he has to look at is you can't just be tied to one game, right? Like with, being a LeBron and being tied into an NBA contract i mean you know you're going to have years and years and years the nba is going to be around right it's still going to be a thing it could be a year or two years from now Fortnite folds but he still wants to be his own brand he still wants to be able to get into whatever he wants to get into and draw draw that because we've seen time and time again like a hot game only lasts for a couple of years sometimes and so this is like a longevity play and 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 to to that point, like some of these leagues also need to understand that they could only be around a couple of years if they don't get it in line, right? And yep. and that's they have to get in line and and prove to sponsors like, hey, we're in it for a, a much longer run. Long long term contracts don't necessarily mean we're going to be in it for a long run. They've got to find, like you said, a way to get that brand connected to to, to players, which connects it to yeah viewers or fans and connects it to actually selling stuff they got to find that 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 loop yep because just saying hey thanks sour patch kids like that doesn't i i have no idea what sour patch is anything like it's not like you know what i mean like there's no like, what's the long term play there for either side right right it's just hey look we're getting recognition the the one i i, I always think is probably one of the best uh sponsors of any kind of event has been arby's i think arby's did like arby's still sticks in my mind because they actually made csgo related ads and became oh, just kind of their social media ad game in general is just right on point. They, they were just joking around it and like it was just it became a fun thing for them and when a brand goes that route that's also really cool but you have to make sure that that kind of poking fun at things can't be turned into uh uh, bad things by certain players, right? Yes. <laughs> like, and you have to, I mean, I think the best way I could summarize this, and I want to talk a little bit more about the broadcast side, but the best way I can summarize this is sponsorship deals need to move past the point of it's cool to be associated with esports. There's a lot of legs at this moment that are shortening, in my opinion, but right now, brands are getting some legs out of we're cool because we're associated with the next cool thing, which is esports. And that is what is driving a majority, I would argue, of the deals that are being landed is it's cool to be involved with esports. Soon it needs to be profitable to be involved in esports or people are going to start asking questions. One of my most famous examples of this was the Chevy marketing person that signed the most ludicrous Jersey sponsorship deal in history with Manchester United. And then was fired like months later where it's like, Hey, it's really cool to be associated with the largest football brand in the world. 
but it's not profitable, and that only gets you so far. And that's very much what you have right now, right? Like, yay, Geico, yay, you know, Arby's, yay, Sour Patch Kids for now, but that's only going to get you so far. Like, you're you're not moving significant units to Sour Patch Kids because of your association with esports. You're never going to see those budgets increase, and you're not, those budgets need to increase to make esports viable long term. But the other side of this that we have talked about is the broadcast deals, and still to this point, the only non- Long, the only long-term non-Twitch deal has been this infamous BamTech deal that was signed, oh my god, almost two years ago now, believe it or not. Right. In December, it will be two years since this deal was signed. So this was originally going to be a seven-year agreement between BamTech and Riot Games. We didn't have a whole lot of details. The details that we were given were prematurely thrown out there because Riot was just sick of all the leaks, and it was handled, in my opinion, especially in retrospect, pretty poorly, but it's also us as journalists are part of the problem because we're like pulling for information, trying to get that out here. We now have a new deal with ESPN for new ESPN's Plus streaming service. This is a non-exclusive agreement, and specifically for North American League of Legends. But two Riot Games sources are telling this is ironic. This is ESPN reporting on this. But two Riot Games sources are saying that the ESPN Plus deal will now replace the previous deal between BamTech and Riot Games, which originally was a $300 million deal that went through 2023. And you got to follow all the paths here because BamTech is owned by Walt Disney, which is also the parent company of ESPN. Um, so there's a lot of like moving pieces involved here. But... In your mind, does this diminish things a little bit? Because now we've just kind of got like this sad, non-exclusive ESPN Plus deal that replaces what was supposed to be a pretty large initiative, it seems, from BamTech to like develop a platform and develop apps and develop you know items that are tied, similar to what we've seen Twitch do a lot with Overwatch League. And it seems like a lot of that stuff is off the table now for just a general, like, hey, we need content for ESPN Plus, and we've got this BamTech deal that we partially own in our back pocket. Yeah, it is the absolute uh, opposite of good, or any, you know, what I mean, it's like uh, if, uh, things you want to shout out to the world. Uh, it is not at all the greatest. I mean, it, so if you look at it, we've it, it's equivalent. I think it's somebody, somebody put it this way: it's equivalent of selling everybody on this fact that you're going to have this amazing resort in Vegas with like this awesome casino, the best experience ever. Just come to this resort. You've, you've sold them on it, like told everybody like it's going to be great. And then in the end, being like, well, we ditched all of that, but we're going to put a couple of billboards outside of Vegas as you come in, so people like know what we are. And, it, and that's the equivalent here because. They've lost so much on this deal, and and it largely boils down to the fact that they made the deal with BamTech uh, to create a essentially an, an experience, and that experience is now gone because Disney got involved, bought BamTech after the fact, and rumor has it that they prioritized a lot of like the ESPN stuff. Uh, and even probably even some of the Disney stuff going on the XD, maybe even they prioritized that over uh, over this deal with Riot. I've heard conflicting things saying that it was on Riot's end. It was part of the issue. That's why they were dragging their feet because BamTech is the underlying people behind Hulu, HBO. I think it's either Go or Now, whatever it may be. And a lot of these, essentially these streaming services, I think even maybe even NBC stuff. I uh, think hopefully they're not behind the, MB, the uh, NBC's <laughs> MLS, That's the a, soccer yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah, let's just not talk about that. That's a whole other rant. Um, but anyway, so they, they obviously know what they're doing. So it's hard to tell where the, the fallout began or, or who dropped the ball where. 
And so this this announcement of ESPN Plus is nothing. It's just basically they're going to duplicate the Twitch stream in the app. And so their goal is to reach people who wouldn't normally see League of Legends. But again, which is the equivalent of putting up a billboard. But the fact <laughs> is, is like... That's all. That's all it is. I know. Because you had told your entire League of Legends fan base, "Hey, we're going to have like insider cool streams. All maybe all these different things you can do in app, either skins or views or whatever it may be." Like they talked about this essentially, like this ecosystem around League of Legends. It's going to be the viewing experience, and now that's gone. They're back to just doing it on Twitch, and all they're doing is getting the Twitch stream replicated in this ESPN Plus app, which is that's not it. as. I mean, there's people that will say, "Wow, that's a big deal." ESPN Plus is no. new. Yeah. ESPN Plus is a desperate ploy to save ESPN as a business because they have built on a flawed model that requires these TV deals that continue to cost them more and more money and provide less and less value. ESPN as a company is getting stomped by companies like Barstool and Bleacher Report, and they've yet to figure that problem out. And this is a desperate grab that is not going to benefit League of Legends. If I stream i am going to find another way to watch it other than the espn plus app and if i'm the traditional espn customer that is not aware of streaming i am going to have the same reaction to this as i do when street fighter shows up on espn 2 i'm going to be an asshole about it (laughs) the venn diagram just doesn't match up here right like i give a shit about streaming i don't like cable but i don't know about league of legends and oops i came across this thing like are some people going to watch it in the espn app sure for the like, is ESPN or Bamtech as an entity overpaying at three hundred million dollars for this deal? Hell yeah, they are because they're not going to get oh, anywhere yeah. near the value out of this. But it also hurts Riot. It seems on the surface that you could say, "Hey, we just got paid three hundred million dollars for a whole lot of nothing." This was a strategic deal for Riot as much as it was about making three hundred million dollars. Like they had planned on doing a lot of what Twitch has now integrated directly into their platform. And having literally been on the other side of the war against ESPN for many years, ESPN does not move fast on the technical side. And while BAM Tech has some solid tech behind it, anyone who's experienced some of the of some of the experiences driven by BAM Tech technology, WWE Network is a perfect example, it can be pretty trash. And it can also be really slow to catch up. And so is ESPN Plus going to have even remotely close to the type of integrations we're already seeing play out on Twitch with, with Overwatch League? Not anytime soon. I mean, crap, it took them two years to get to this point. Like, it's just not... It, it feels like a, hey, we own this thing that we spent a crap ton of money on. Let's figure out a place to put it so people stop asking questions. Yeah. Well, I, so there's no official word whether or not that $300 million deal, what Riot gets out of that now. Right? It could just be done, cut and dry. So that's... This, If we go back to when they originally started franchising, they left off the plate the actual TV deals to begin with. And we question whether or not uh, – we question the reasons why. And I think that it was because it was this whole announcement was built on shaky ground to begin with is essentially my my feelings. And because – and, uh, I mean, we, we kind of assumed that maybe Riot didn't want to share that money yet or whatever it may be. That was somewhat what they are doing to kind of kickstart the league. Whatever it may – Whatever reasons behind it, we now know that it still has not happened. And so if I'm a team owner, and one of the reasons why I invested in this franchise was because I knew I was going to get a part of that $300 million that was coming in every year, and now it's gone, 
what? What 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 are we going to do about this? Right? Because yep. you were essentially guaranteeing me in some way, shape, or form out of this what maybe a million dollars a year. So that's a million dollars, right? Just lost, or as a franchise owner, you just lost, and yep. that. Uh, that will not make you happy, especially since you're trying to franchise in EU and franchise more and create more teams. Uh, this does not look good. This, this is awful. No, and ESPN is not very notorious for playing the long game. <laughs> like they aren't looking at this as like this development deal, right? Where they can sit here and go, "Well, you know, we'll spend the next what do we have left? We'll call it five years left on this deal, developing technologies, and this esports is the future." Like if this doesn't start paying dividends, if they are not seeing good viewership numbers on ESPN Plus as part of this deal, they will get out of it. They will not renew it. They will not invest further into it. They've essentially at this point thrown away. I mean, they do one thing I will say about them is they do not get stuck in the sunk cost fallacy when it comes to tech. And they are going to look at this and go, well, you know, they already invested two years. There's allegedly two years worth of technology development that has taken place as part of this deal that we may or may not see. So why invest even further? It, it's it's not good for esports right now. This is not a good sign for esports when it comes to broadcast deals. When the marquee no. broadcast, and, and I want to be clear here, as journalists, as a general journalistic community, we are largely at fault for this one. I, th- I agree, and we'll take your sentiment a step further. We would never have heard of this deal had we not pu- pushed as a journalistic community because they would have kept it to themselves and... If it went this direction, I don't know we would have ever heard about it. We would have got I, to the I, ESPN deal, but I don't know that we would have any idea that there was this BAM tech thing and two years of involvement going on because I think they could have hooked people into the league with that knowledge without making it publicly available in the weird piecemeal way that they did. Yeah, I feel like I feel like Riot still would have announced that. Right. I think the reason why this was out there was because they were looking towards franchising. They're looking to get more investment into it. They were competing with a lot of the the uh, stuff going on with Overwatch. And this was kind of a way to overshadow. Like this was a huge PR move. If you didn't want people to know about it and even the journalists, the journalists were pushing for it. Ryan historically just doesn't give in to journalism, right? They they don't care. They have their deal with usually one outlet, and that's the only outlet they'll talk to. So I don't know if they were necessarily yeah, this is all because like Esports they had to appease anybody because the only you're not appeasing a fan base necessarily. There, you can say, "Hey, we're working on something," and that's it. Uh, but this is you know, this was a pure PR move. The number was so astronomically high that they had to do it. it yeah, they they would have announced this either, either way. I feel. And, but now they look like the fool uh, because it's it's falling it's it's fallen through. Who knows? I mean, maybe they got money out of it. May, I, it's hard. I don't know. Like I said, I've I've completely heard both sides pointing uh, of pointing the finger at the other one, and I you don't know who to. We've been on the technical end, right? Like, yep. things who go, is it? Things is go it poorly. The, is it is it is it the engineering side? Is it the content production side? Who's not getting their stuff together? And how hard is it to just spin up a stream? And so it makes me wonder, like, there's a lot of back and forth, maybe what content or what the, maybe the, the dev was too high, the roadmap was too big, whatever it may be. But now it's down to just this. Like, this is bad. Yeah, this yeah. is bad for everybody. Like, ESPN is trying to salvage this investment. 
Riot is going to get something out of it, but I don't think they envisioned being an add-on to the ESPN Plus service as their grand vision for, for their first esports broadcast deal. I think they were looking yeah. to set the pace, and the, they clearly have the, not. The only saving grace here is that it's not an exclusive deal with ESPN. Right? <laughs> know, That's it. That is the only bonus, right? Like The fact that you can still continue to watch it how you normally watch it, and it's not just legit stuck into... <laughs> stuck into... Uh, you have to watch it via this app or like on Facebook or on Twitter, whatever it may be. Like that's the only benefit here. And I feel like even the ESPN plus stuff was probably reluctantly signed at that point. Yeah. I think it was just, what else do you control, do? Right? Maybe like, yeah, sure, what other fine. option has emerged? That's the challenge here, right? Like the overwatch I, I league wasn't able to bring you a new option to the table either. Like it's still just Twitch. Right, right. And you know what? It, and it's probably like you probably won't see them promote the ESPN thing at all. Like it's just, okay, fine. Screw you, Disney. That's it is really what this is. This is the equivalent of like Bleacher Report working with E-League and exposing like a Twitch stream within the app. <laughs> like it's really what's going on here. There's there's no ESPN specific anything that is going on. They're not handling the broadcasting deal. As of now, there's no talk of them putting it on actual television, which we knew is always going to be a challenge. And that's what's problematic here, right? Like MOBA's... League of Legends in particular does not necessarily play well as a broadcast because of how long it is and how much time they have to give up. So it's interesting, but this is not what we needed. And I think you can compare this with this next bit of news. Uh, the Esports Observer has brought our, my, my favorite graph, which is to watch the viewership around Overwatch League continue to have challenges. We had looked at this probably a month and a half, two months ago, um, and we were looking to stage three, and we're like, okay, things might be trending in the right direction. But as of now, four weeks into stage four, and viewership is down as a whole across you know, every measure that you can look at at this point. Now, we'll see how it continues to play out. But up to this point, it is lower than any other point in time for any of the previous stages. Stage 1, 2, th and 3 all had significantly more viewership than Stage 4 has at this point. We've talked about in the past couple of weeks some of the reasons why viewership may be going down. We talked about the fact that it's a long season. NYXL has been fairly dominant. You have teams that are falling off. But... The thought of adding more teams, which we got some further confirmation on this week as well, makes you really wonder what's going on here and what the plan is going forward. Like, what significant changes are they going to have to make and how worried are we when I start to look at numbers, not for the first time, but dipping more and more dangerously below that 100K mark. And the average starts to shift closer and closer, being under that six figure mark. And it starts to look less and less appealing as we go on because those numbers just keep sinking. And if we don't see a significant bump in viewership post playoffs and going into the next season, it starts to hurt the model a little bit. Is it being a viable, you know, end to end league as opposed to what we have primarily seen league of legends be able to do, which is build value on their big tent pole events. Overwatch league is not proven to be able to do that in any significant way. Right now, the stage championships, which operate as, some form of like your MSI or, or other like mid-season temple events we've seen out of League of Legends have seen a mark increase, but not significant enough where we're talking about millions and millions of people watching. And there's got to be some people at Blizzard worried about the viability of it long term if those numbers continue to trend downwards. 
Yeah, and I think part of it too, like, so they, they even added in the extra day, like the Sunday matches, they changed that up a little bit. And so I don't know if they, they're they just getting like viewership fatigue, right? Because think about it, like, we, we watch things like the majors, and I think the uh just esports audience in general is largely just conditioned to watching a weekend tournament and like that is the stuff that's on the line right and not these uh these games that essentially don't 100% count or there's not really a good narrative behind them because there's so many different stages and the end is like you know you're you're going through four stages before you finally get to some of the games that really and truly count and there are some teams that are just out of it right now they're not even in the runnings of it and so there's why are they even playing? They're still airing these matches and it's drawn out from what, like Thursday or Wednesday all the way to Sunday. So now it's, it's equivalent to like having, uh, you know, a, a double tournaments each week and it's competing with every other game that's out there. It's getting into busy season for a lot of it. And if you're blizzard, you have to be a little worried about this because these numbers are not going at all in the right direction where you want them to be. And you have to be really annoyed that Bethesda can sit and throw up a, a webcam pointing to a screen that says coming soon and 50,000 people are going to just watch it. And there's literally no production there. It is just a webcam and a screen yeah. like, and like a little bobblehead. That is it. And they can almost match you viewer for viewer. And you're spending all this money on a crew, all this talent, all this promotion, you have sponsors and they have a bobblehead and they're doing it just as well. And so that's, it, it's scary because like there's there's no reason necessarily to tune in. Whenever I see it come up and there's like, hey, Overwatch has started, and it's like, okay, great, that's cool. Like I don't know anything else from a push notification that is not coming across. It's just like, and, and, and you know, it's and it's every single day for four days in a row, and you start to get this fatigue of like, okay, cool, they're on, but it's not really anything. I I don't I, I don't know like the the matches and the teams play on different days and different times and so maybe that's part of it right because if you're a streamer normalization of your streams and playing at the same time and same days but you can't do that with a league it's just it's tough it's esports is not traditional sports yeah and so uh, if if you had seven days a week of of football matches and you drew the season out to thirty six games you would see that people generally don't care until the end of something big. And, and if you look at all of these weeks, uh, except for like, or, or all these stages, they generally are like U-shaped. People tune at the beginning, it dips down, and then maybe comes back up at the end, or largely comes back up at the end. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of people. Worth it. We've talked about this in the or past, right? There's plenty of people that only yeah. care about the playoffs. But well, yeah. when you start talking about expansion, and the drag that expanding, so it was announced, or I should say revealed this week by the CEO of Major League Gaming in a German business newspaper that we are definitely getting six more teams. We know two of them are in the Americas, two of them from Asia Pacific, and two of them from Europe and the Middle East. Um, you have to believe, and I don't believe this, you have to believe that there's viewership sitting on the sidelines waiting for a hometown team. And I don't think that is nearly as much of the case. And this is, again, this like false narrative about regionality and mistaking people falling in love with a team for the ability to say, well, I'm from Chicago. You know, you, Seattle's a perfect example, right? You live in Seattle. How many people are not watching Overwatch League currently waiting for a Seattle franchise, which will then bring them to start watching the Overwatch League? Like, You have to believe that the number of people from those six regions that are sitting on the sidelines – 
is going to outpace the additional drag that this is going to have on viewership numbers. Yes, you're going to have more games to watch, therefore more content, and therefore more total hours watched, probably. But that has to outpace the number of people that are like, F this shit. That is just too much. Like, I'm just not going to watch. And the viewership is going to potentially, be the, the, the trough of the V or the U is going to be much, much steeper in this case because the regular season is going to potentially drag on even more if you do not make a significant change to the format. And I just am not, outside of the franchise money that these six teams are going to bring and some potential merchandise money, I don't know. I think this actually could hurt average viewership or concurrent viewers across the season then help it because i just don't believe there's uh, many people sitting on the sidelines waiting for their region to get a team before they start supporting overwatch league in a significant way yeah and if you look at every season every stage is dropped or uh, is dropped in viewership at the start right now no stage has actually increased and what you want to see is stage one starts off at however many thousand hundred thousands and then stage two one ups it uh, but what you have is just like it's decreasing every time, and usually it's around uh, like what, like the 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 fifth or sixth week that we start to see maybe they start to collide and come to like this general viewership number. Yep. It has in the past, um, but it's really it's at the end it, it it curtails back up. But if you look at how like stage three was, and we we called it last time, it was like it's not it's looking grim. It's it's having a rough start. It's having a rough time, even matching stage two two's number. And in the end, it got close to where stage two was, but it still wasn't nearly as good. Uh, I mean, it's it. This is no surprise. Let's put it this way: it's not nearly as good as what they want it to be. And if we're talking about now, they're wanting what we've heard 20 plus million to 60 million buy-in for a team or something stupid like that. Those numbers are absurd, but even now at 20 million, this doesn't look appealing. No, it doesn't. doesn't look appealing. Like where's that money? Especially when you see BAM tech deals go out the window and league of legends has higher viewership than, than overwatch. You know, you're not going to get a BAM tech deal as a franchise. Not, not with these numbers. Yep. Yeah, and I just, I don't see it. Like, I'm looking at this graph and things look grim. And if you look at stage one finals for viewership total hours watched, you look and compare, if you, I mean, no matter what measure you look at, it looks not great. Like, stage two, when you look at average concurrent viewership, spiked, but that was also when they made significant changes to the finals format and added an additional game. And that normalized across stage three, it equals stage one, which means technically you're in an even worse situation because you've added this extra game that is supposed to increase the interest and intrigue in the playoff format. And that basically just got you back to square one where you were with the less interesting one in stage two. When you look at total hours watched, they've gotten nowhere near close. Stage three and stage two at the end ended up at the exact same number and stage one like broke one and a half million and now you haven't broken the million mark even with your you know playoff matches and you look at max concurrent viewership and you're in the same spot where stage three is equaling stage one all these metrics are bad no matter how you map it out no matter how you slice they're down and to the right and that's never a position where you want to be when you're about to double or triple the cost to get into the league for six more teams and potentially you're going to be offering them even lower numbers just because the natural drag of things and because you're going to be splitting that audience amongst potentially even more teams playing at weirder hours, are you going to add another day? You're probably going to have to. So now right. what, are we going to be playing Overwatch League five days a week? 
Yeah. Well, so and you also have to look at too. Uh, you're you're looking at the point of the regionality. You're, you're butting up against it. Originally, you said, okay, the first year is going to be played in L.A. Then we're going to start moving teams out to actual venues within the the, the cities in which they're backed in. But now, how are you going to secure more of those venues or get someone to foot the bill for them, or how are you going to get that all sorted out when your <laughs> when your numbers are this low? And on top of that. I'm telling you, I think what happens year two is it becomes like a traveling road show. It becomes like the equivalent to like an ESL, like one series or a major series where maybe once a month they hold a, a full-blown tournament or a series of matches in certain areas to try and, and get this larger. And it's and, and maybe there are prize pools and different things, but I think the league format will, will change and it will become maybe either like the stakes have to be upped and the narrative has to be upped for for you to gain viewership and the fatigue has to lessen because there's just i mean most people the only thing they know of what's going on in overwatch is all the bs that we talked about at the beginning of the show right like just the bad stuff that's the narrative of overwatch in some way shape shape or form and and not to mention they're playing a patch behind now so it's not the same that it was going on on current servers and so that's another thing that people are kind of annoyed with. Like, okay, this is the old meta. It doesn't really deal with what I'm playing with. Like, it's... I don't know. They, they, they've got to figure out a way to just juice the numbers. And I still think that, like, the league format needs to change. Drastically. And the, and, and the stages need to change. It's a learning year. But the problem is, is you've, you made a really long learning year. You made it a year to learn, right? And not just like, okay, here's here's a, a trial run for a couple stages, like one or two stages. You you went, you went all in, and you can't back out of it now. Yep. And you're, to accommodate as many teams as they're trying to accommodate, the addition of six more teams, they're going to have to show up with a different format that is either more spread out. Maybe every team doesn't play every single week. Something has got to, to to reduce the fatigue, and I appreciate the theory behind the stage model. Right, like if we can get that playoff type bump multiple times in a season, and it, looking at the numbers and the graphs, it works to a certain degree. But I'd also say that to your point, where the opening of the stage viewership is lower and lower each time, that recovery time between stages is not nearly long enough. Part of the reason why you, the playoffs work really well is it's like this big bang at the end, and then I get three or four months to recover before I'm interested and excited for the season. Right now, there is no time for me to like digest the playoffs and then be like, all right, I'm ready for that our, our opportunity to do it next season. Because for the most part... Other than money, the stages are largely the stage championships are largely meaningless. They do not impact the ability to go on and do better next time or to playoff positioning. They're, they just need the stakes aren't there, and I think people are starting to catch on to that. Right, like the fact that the teams get a performance bonus is not enough from a viewership fan base standpoint to get super excited. Yay, yeah. we won the stage. <laughs> When was the last time you watched like the NFL and be like, man, I hope he like throws for 300 yards this time. Cause I hope he gets that bonus. Like, it's just like, you don't, you don't vote for a team to necessarily make more money. That doesn't, 
I mean, from a, a bonus standpoint, it, it's different when it's a, a, a scrub team or whatever, and they, they win a league, right? Like, there's something behind it. Yeah. But there's no real pride in the fact, like, yeah, man, I'm all for that team because they won an extra $100,000 last week. No. Nope. But it, if they got it, better it, seating in the playoffs or something of that nature because of these championships, something, something has yeah. to make a difference. And it, it just isn't. So I don't want to belabor the point further, but it, it I think Overwatch League, and this is not saying, man, this is a complete and total failure. But I do feel like every season has this theme of punching a bit above their weight to their detriment. They they always seem to be trying to do a little bit more than they probably should at this stage. I think six teams for double or triple the money when you have some serious flaws to work out in this model for a sustainable situation. And people that are looking at the right metrics, my opinion, instead of getting super excited because there's viewing parties springing up everywhere and using that as like a marker for success, you can't monetize viewing parties right and i think it's very different you and i and a bunch of buddies showing up to b-dubs you know and doing a viewing party and hundreds of people showing up to every single week for my team at a hometown arena it's very very different things you have to charge for those things they have to make money there has to be viable like the cost of regionality gets exponentially worse from this point forward right like maintaining your own arena selling tick you have to make that profitable and it's right now blizzard is bearing the costs of this for the teams they're not having to invest nearly as much as they have to in a world where there's now a seattle esports arena that i own and have to put butts in the seats every week so it goes far beyond that and if it's not coming from a tv deal which is driven by this average concurrent viewer some sort of broadcast deal it's going to be problematic. There's a theme here. <laughs> you can only fake it till you make it for so long until the rubber <laughs> hits the road, right? So we'll see how that ends up all working out. But we are going to be getting six more teams, as I mentioned, sooner. Um, we don't know where there's going to be, though. Berlin seems to be the one that is very likely to be on the list of European teams. We've talked in the past about how they definitely need some more stuff in Southeast Asia. Um, we'll see where that ends up landing, whether that's another Chinese team or whether that ends up going into a different market. Um, certainly Europe has a lot of places things can go. Um, we'll see how much money gets thrown around. We'll s- and we, they've already come out and said there will not be any changes to regionality format for season two. We will continue to see it as the traditional model of all the things being played as Blizzard Arena. Um, but they're shooting for, and this is the first time they've put a timeline on it, they are shooting for season three to start having moving the regionality model forward as far as where oh, games are okay. played. So season right. three is a new target. Okay. So it is a new target because originally it was season two. Yep. Now they're saying season three. Right. Um, Makes sense. We have some teams like the LA Valiant is going to be playing at the Microsoft Theater uh, beginning in season three. So they're definitely like the wheels are in motion here. It is happening. I'm scared. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. I am scared for what this is actually going to mean. But mm-hmm. I wonder who their production company is on that because I don't think – they're going to attempt to do all of it themselves. So that gets really pricey. You got to mm-hmm. follow, like, because a if you are well, going to have it, a fully regionality model, you're going to have to be running broadcasts in cities simultaneously. Right. NBA spends a shit ton of money on that. <laughs> like, yeah, that's that. That is a uh, pretty problem, problematic. And I think maybe didn't they say at one point in time that maybe that they would just have a lot of the teams in a certain region play? Yeah. Right? They, so they've they've talked about like your roadshow model, right? Like, okay, let's go play yeah. in London. 
all the teams will play in London this week, and then all the teams will play in New York, and then all the teams like they'll go to the cities. But that is very different than saying like LA is going to play once in LA and once in New York, and you know having the home and away type situation where everybody's got a home arena. There's a bunch of expensive travel now because like housing them in LA is fine when all the games are played in LA, but when you need to cart a team around the world, quite literally, like. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. God, it just feels like they've bitten off more than they can chew at this point. But we'll see how it all plays out. Season two will be a very interesting indicator. If numbers are still going down and the cost to run the league is going up, what does season three end up actually looking like? We will see. So moving on, I want to talk a little bit. I want to revisit the collegiate esports topic for a minute. We are always asking for people to give us feedback give us their take on things. And uh, we got some of that this week. So I want to make sure we talk a little bit more about this, um, especially some people that are coming from the angle of working on this collegiate process far more directly um, than you and I do by just like chirping and bitching from our, <laughs> from our pedestal over here in podcast land. Um, but a lot of interesting points that came up during this Twitter conversation that you have with some of our listeners. Yeah. And we had a, it was, uh, I believe it was Gladstone actually reached out and he had mentioned that, you know, one of the problems that collegiate esports has is is in attracting talent because they don't have really anything, not necessarily anything to uh, to offer them, but it's hard to compete with some of the, the bigger teams or whatever it may be. And and I, you know, I, I started thinking about that a little bit. And I, and I, you know, during the casting stuff of Hearthstone, I I got to see kind of both sides. I got to hang out with a bunch of pro players and kind of got an idea of like what some of them were making from a, like a month to month standpoint and and what. What was the big deal of getting signed to a team in Hearthstone, right? If and a lot of it is like you're 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 paid to be able to like fly around and go to these tournaments or maybe get a monthly stipend, whatever it may be, like those are the sorts of, of things that you get. Now from a uh, a standpoint when it comes to like a a university team, like you there there's still a lot of those similarities. Like you you have the ability to maybe get scholarships uh, you can get uh, not necessarily paid for for playing in tournaments, but the the point that I, I would try to bring up is like, at what point uh, the reason why collegiate esports is having some of the problems that they do is because there is no way for them to play outside of really things like TESPA. There are a couple of smaller ones popping up, but I mean, it, it's really TESPA is is your tournament and your league essentially. And so what what is stopping some of these teams from just saying, Hey, we're going to send our team from Boise. And I think I use Boise state uh, as an example. Why can't they just send their team to DreamHack, Right. And that is because we, we talked about how like colleges are, are largely using the esports stuff as a, a marketing way to, to get uh, reach people and say, Hey, look, we're hip or cool or with it, whatever you want to say. Right. But, you know, judging by what some of the esports brands offer, I think it's, possible to recruit the talent you want it's just the problem with collegiate esports is there's a lack of organized competitive play so why don't you just send some people out to dream hacks why don't you send some people out to uh, these various tournaments and get your name your brand as a school out there uh, and that's the way you can say you you can get people to, to buy into that brand as well or into that college get them to apply the college whatever it may be I just think your your metrics of how you, uh, you know, you assume that we're 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 worthwhile are different. Um, but I think a lot of people players want notoriety, right? And that's the largest reason why they join a team. They want to play more Hearthstone, they want to compete in Hearthstone, and they want notoriety for doing so. 
And if you're a college team and you're organized, if you're competing in tournaments, you're sending your people to tournaments, you don't have to necessarily be winning, but you just got to be out there. People recognize you. you offer, you're offering largely the same thing, if not more. Yeah, and I think that's a little bit easier to apply that model to Hearthstone than if we get into more team-based esports. I think if you're running an Overwatch League team or you're running a Counter-Strike team, it's not that easy because the level of play is so much higher and it's not it's often invitational-based or points-based and you have to put in the work. You have to start at the beginning of the season, try to build up enough points if you need the support to get good enough to qualify for a lot of those things. So while I can agree on the individual game basis, I have a real hard time still buying this and what there is to offer because yes, we can put together the Ohio State Counter-Strike team, but for Ohio State Counter-Strike to make a significant impact in Counter-Strike, they have to be at a certain level of play without organized collegiate play. And organized collegiate play requires there to be enough money and inputs into the system to be a sustainable model. I don't want to discount the work that the TESPAs and the EGFs and the people of that nature are trying to put into the system and I know it seems like we're being a bit of a naysayer, especially myself, but I still just don't buy it. I don't think – can it get better? Can these groups make leeway to make it more interesting and exciting and get support at a certain level for these organizations within their school? Certainly. If you're looking for collegiate esports to be a thing to the level – and I'm not even talking about money-wise, but just to the level of involvement you get from a school in traditional sports, that's a much harder sell. Like – all you can really offer is a different path in the pro, which is hard because you need to be playing at that level during college. Because in the cases outside of Hearthstone, your age matters and your ability to have those reaction times matter. And it's the prime of your esports career being potentially wasted in college if you cannot play at that level. That's not like I need this as a stepping stone. So you need to provide and be okay with providing only a certain level of esports for the value of an education. Right? I can give you a scholarship because I view Hearthstone as valuable as traditional sports. And there are, I want to be clear here. There's traditional sports that don't mean a whole lot to colleges that still hand out scholarships, right? Like is and I hate to pick on, on the women, but this tends to be the one of the problems. But do do women's sports in general draw as much money as men's sports? No. Like there are women receiving softball scholarships in college, and there's not a lot of money in women's college softball. That's just facts. So this doesn't mean there isn't a path forward. And I do hope that that is what the Tespas of the world are able to achieve is, look, Hearthstone or Counter-Strike or Overwatch is just as valuable as some of your C and D tier sports that are also receiving scholarship money to some degree, and we want to support it at that level, and that is great. Believing that it's going to become much more than that, that you are going to be more than just like sideshow entertainment on the Big Ten channel, you just need to be okay that that's never going to be a thing. Like It's just the structure. When you have a game or a sport where the athletes peak at the age that they do, this is really the only path forward. And then if you want to submit the poor souls that choose to go this route to the NCAA machine maybe then it's worth it to get some scholarship money on board. But thinking that it's going to be an alternative path to pro is just is not going to line up outside of, of things like Hearthstone that are more mind-based and less reactionary-based. I, I can agree to that somewhat. Like I, but it all depends on what the established esports scene is like. 
So CSGO is not one that's easy to get into because it's pretty much the exact, all the same teams getting into all the same stuff. It's like you can submit your teams to opens, right? So that's one of the things with like dream hacks and so on and so forth is there are a lot of open tournaments. And I think you, as a team, you, and that's more what I was talking about is you need to start submitting your teams to open cups or whatever it may be open tournaments, not just relying on the fact like, well, one day there will be a collegiate full-blown league and that's we'll play other colleges it's not it's not that level you need to you need to look at uh, essentially getting out there and, and competing in tournaments even though you may not necessarily win you every once in a while you're going to have somebody kind of eke through and become uh, this underdog story and that's what you need is that kind of those those kind of, of narratives being out there in some way shape or form maybe it's a hero's team right that's something you could probably get into you could get into uh starcraft you're probably screwed on because there's not really much going on there but there are other games like rocket league is another a perfect example there's a lot of people self-organizing in terms of rocket league right now because it's there's the rlcs but there's not really anything else for them um overwatch I mean, there's no no real scene for that because Blizzard Blizzard has, has decided to bring it all in house, and we see we've talked about those numbers, right? And so you're, you're the chance of you getting, uh, you know, into Challenger or whatever it may be, uh, or get in in any level of, of organized franchise play is really slim. But if there are open cups and there are th- things that are out there like Dota and so on and so forth, you could get recognized. You could get people out there. I don't see that like, oh, you're going to get Boise State's Dota 2 team is going to get picked up entirely. And then by, you know, for instance, I, I don't know, Luminosity. And now that's the team. I don't, I'm not saying that, but you might occasionally find talent here and there. Like, you know, example is in UCLA, Triton is a, a proven Hearthstone player who's playing at the collegiate level, who's re- repeatedly been there at the end at, at multiple years, a very strong player. I could easily see him from that group of three getting picked up and sponsored by a team. Like that makes sense. Why don't we Granted, see it's Hearthstone, but it's not, not anything specific to like CSGO or whatever. But it, it could be you, either way you're, you're competing in open cups. You're getting people out there. There's a chance that talent can be found that way because that's one of the things we don't have is just a lot of different leagues and open cups to that, to churn up talent. Right. And so you, you end up with like, who are the big name streamers? Oh, let's throw them all on a Dallas team. Like, just. But what is stopping? So this is an interesting question. I don't have the answer to. I'd love if our audience, these people that are involved in this conversation specifically, can answer this question for me. What is stopping a college from supporting a team in Overwatch Contenders or the HGC Open Division? Because HGC is actually a very interesting conversation to have because Blizzard puts a lot into Heroes of the Dorm, right? They, they give them this initial path. What is stopping a UT Arlington that was, you know, up until recently, like the darling example of of what the path could look like? Like, what is stopping these teams? I, I would argue that some of those teams, if not a good portion of those teams that competed in the Heroes of the Dorm are more competitive than the random crap I'm staring at in the HGC Open Division right now, which is just a bunch of random people that have, have come together. Like, what's stopping that from happening? Like, why don't we see right. more of that? That's what I'm saying. Like, why aren't why aren't they joining in these? Why are they waiting only for Heroes of the Dorm? Or it's something test related it's like they, it's like they're waiting for the collegiate scene to just happen or someone to organize a collegiate scene and it's like e that's a that's the thing is like esports out there right like 
you you have to just go after it in some way, shape, or form. Like, are they sold on that? Is there some are. rule I'm not aware of? Like, because that is an interesting That's question, right? Like, I read this tweet response to you, and it says like. Our Gladstone says our Overwatch team, for example, just sits around running scrims while they wait for the test season right. to start. Why aren't you competing in, in Overwatch Open and, and contenders? And I don't know if it's if it's a thing because they're backing it and they could win money. But I, like, but that's why I want the answer. Like I think that's a good right. question to answer that we could inform our audience. Like and why is this so happening? What we found was that uh, I, I, I heard someone say that so Tespa does Hearthstone differently. They, so they they had a varsity team which were colleges with specific. Uh, esports programs, they ran one path and then they met up with the open division path. So the like the the championships were like a mix of like four and four, right? Um, or actually, it ends up being like I think it was eight and eight, but it whittled down to the top eight was just two people from varsity teams and like six people from the open cup, essentially. Um, and so, it, you know, it's like you have these teams that are established but they're in this like kind of varsity mentality that they only want to play in the varsity but what but what we had heard was that the varsity teams even if they won the scholarship money it goes to the program to give out it doesn't necessarily go to them as individuals but if you won from an open cup team you you got the scholarship money directly so there was something about the esports programs the players could not be paid directly because it's a college sponsored program and so that might be the weird thing here. So, for instance, if you send your team to DreamHack and they win, and they win this $20,000 prize pool, whatever it may be, how is that handled? I don't know. And I don't. And that might be the, the part that they're kind of... Like, is TESPA getting in their own way yeah. to a certain degree? <laughs> like, are, the, are these rules actually, mm-hmm. at this point, make, are we putting things in place too soon that are blocking people from making what might be better decisions for the overall scene? Well, no, I think are are the colleges doing that? Are the universities doing that? Are they are they immediately going by like, well, an NCAA, anything like that, anything that's regulated, the players can't receive the money directly, right? It's not like you, oh, we got the Fiesta Bowl, we made a million dollars, that goes directly to the players, right? Right. It doesn't. Nope. <laughs> the university and everybody else take their cut, and so I think some of these, uh, the problem is that some of these uh, collegiate level teams are being kind of spun up in the same mentality is that one day these players will or one day they will be regulated they won't get the money directly it goes to the program not the players because they're essentially getting paid already by scholarship whatever it may be and so i think that's the problem is that there's maybe a, a gray area there mm-hmm. uh and and how they go about winning the, the these things be, and honestly, like winning a dream hack is the same as the equivalent to getting a bowl game right maybe not in terms of money wise but it's the same thing like your college is getting money from that. And, and so why? Why stop them? You just have to figure out the agreement. It's just a different area, and I don't think colleges are ready for it. So they just wait for the co- other colleges to just form the usual thing. And, yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's a, I think that's a slow. I don't think it's TESPA. Interesting. Uh, definitely worth investigating more. I find the whole topic yeah. incredibly interesting because it is. It we try so hard as an industry to draw so many parallels to traditional sports. I think collegiate esports, to a certain degree, is tripping over that in, in a lot of ways because they are trying to treat it similar to what is already in place, but it's very much not. Can't, can't just can't be treated that way on so many different levels. So, 
I'm definitely like any listeners, people are involved in this conversation or, or others that have input on this. Like I'd love to hear and talk more about this with you on Twitter, like seven or I, you can reach us up on Twitter and uh, yeah, we'll talk about it some more. Cause I think it's, it's a very interesting topic that does not get as much play as it should. And it's still very much the wild, wild west in a lot of ways in trying to figure this stuff out. Like I think, I think the perception outside is that it is far more figured out than it actually is. Like people see organizations like TESPA and they're like, Oh, yeah. Blizzard has blessed them. Like therefore like it's all sorted out and like, well, Probably not, <laughs> like not not to the degree that even I assume it is. So, anyway, I want to touch on one more story before we wrap things up, and I want to talk a little bit. Of, this is actually a story from last week that we didn't get to, but I want to talk to you because it, it starts off in a very like you know uninteresting way and spirals quickly into something that, that has a, a bigger impact on the esports scene. So, very recently, Team Dignitas bought the World Champion Rocket League team, which was pre- previously Gale Force Esports. If you've been following Gale Force Esports, they have challenges <laughs> across most of the games that they compete in right now. And this is the first move by their new CEO, Michael Prindeville. Um, and he had a lot of interesting tidbits of news to get to as part of this announcement that are unrelated to Rocket League, including pretty major things like rebranding Dignitas, moving Dignitas to LA, and how this impacts Dignitas's potential, or what we might say likely involvement, in the EU LCS. And it's very interesting to see a brand that is pretty renowned in Team Dignitas feeling like they need to make a significant change to their operating model going forward and what is actually driving that and that was the part that was interesting to me was like how much they were willing to kind of overhaul the dignitas brand and what games are involved in and where they're located because they are like they're in a kind of a tenuous position in the grand scheme of things right because they are not involved in overwatch league they have to rebid for their EU LCS spot, and it's a brand that we we consider to be pretty stable, and, and they seem to think that they need to make some changes. Well, I, I think they're taking a little bit of key from we've saw like Optic Gaming diversified a lot. I uh, even seen like Panda diversifying a, a bit within all these different genres, and I, I, what you what we've seen is some of these bigger team or squad based games are it's it's more costly to operate in that area so like a csgo team you got to have a group of people that you're you're paying to to play it versus having someone in the fgc who's just a single person right so you're only paying for one flight one whatever and and versus fours and fives and sixes depending on if you get into overwatch and so on and so forth and so I, i think in that case like it makes sense to diversify in some way shape or form dignitas however is kind of dropped off radar once once they were bought up they really totally dropped off radar i think they were expecting to get into overwatch league i think they were expecting a lot more to happen with the brand and it has kind of just fallen right csgo that is gone right so there's no more dignitas and csgo essentially um nothing worth talking about and so they're they're buying into some of these other leagues where the prize pools are, are are fairly decent and the cost and the competition between buying into these teams uh, is much less. So you can get a Rocket League team for a lot less and there's a chance that they could pay out. There's also things like Rainbow Six and you start to see people kind of, even in all like the, what is it, like Paladins and a lot of the high-res stuff, you're seeing a lot of these brands just jumping in and picking up teams because you don't have to pay them nearly as much as you do a CSGO player. You don't have to cart them around as much. As, as someone who is kind of doing these these tour based uh, games, and so 
they're just looking at it from a financial standpoint of like, well, we're not just going to be able to constantly throw money at it. At some point in time, we need a return on investment. Um, and we need, uh, we need to be out there and in multiple games to expand the brand essentially. Yep. And, and so just a reminder, like this is the 76ers involved. Like the, at the time, this was like ballied about as like a major investment because the 76ers right. were taking such a hands-on approach allegedly to esports, right? There's all this talk about training facilities and all these things and they've largely it's been met with a whimper for the most part. Like they lost their NALCS spot. Um they're not competing at nearly the level they were in CS:GO. They're not guaranteed any money at this point, right? Because of them not being involved in any franchise-based league, they are not part of this new model that tends to give you a little bit more stability because the league is guaranteeing your existence to a large degree. And like you said, they are taking these more piecemeal approaches, but I question this as a long-term strategy as opposed to more of a short-term cash grab, and I'm surprised by that to a certain degree because I totally get that model. There's a lot of viability in that model, and if you're more of a independent slanted organization something like a panda global right like where they where they get involved and like for them they need to be it's a money-making venture all along the way right they, they can't play the long term as much as they need because they just need the short term because of the types of esports that they're involved in but being involved in the fighting game scene being involved in you know sponsoring a specific hearthstone player being involved in rocket league it, it, it's the the investment is is pretty low compared to the payouts like there's still some pretty significant payouts in a lot of these games because they're being driven by large marketing budgets but for dignitas they have fallen pretty far as you pointed out and they are in this weird scenario where like if they don't get into eu lcs and they can't secure an overwatch league spot what do they do in that case, right? Like, is there a lot of viability for the 76ers to be piddling around in, in C and D tier esports, just trying to piece together a profitable esports initiative? Um, I don't know. It just seems weird when you have literally the guy who developed NBC Sports um, esports business and he comes over and this is like a high profile CEO signing and he's out there like piddling around the same way like an independent like a tempo storm would you know trying to piece together profitable esports it's just a weird take and, and a pretty large fall from glory I guess to be a little hyperbolic um, for what the 76ers promised when they brought Dignitas on board yeah I think they were expecting a lot more to happen and then they realized it's the world of esports and you're dealing with kids and shit just goes sideways pretty quick uh, it, it has not been at all great. It, it, it's been their BAM tech deal, essentially. Like it, it's, <laughs> yeah, it, right. I mean, but it's good that they're, they're trying to stick with it. They're trying to diversify a bit. I mean, Dignitas was already on the, de- uh, arguably already on the decline when, when they bought into them, the, yep. the height of Dignitas has had since passed. Um, and so it's, it's really tough to get in back into some of these things without buying a team or a team that's already established and doing well. So hence buying a rocket league team that is the world champ, like makes sense. I see we saw Vainglory when everybody started jumping into Vainglory, they were just buying teams that were already kind of the grassroots team teams that were doing well. They just started people just swooping in and buying them. And so it's, well, I, it could be a cash grab model. It's also one of those things where when you're wanting to get into Overwatch League or uh, the, the, a franchise or you're wanting to get into a League of Legends franchise, they look a lot at your books and how well you're established and your brand and your reach when they let you in, right? And so it, you have to get your brand back in order, and that's what I think they're doing. They're trying to get the brand back in order because they want franchises in the long run. But it's, the short term, the short term is, is they need to be 
an active esports organization, and they've gone dead in the water for some time. And it's a weird space we're in, right? Because there's no longer this ability to kind of roll your own. You know, esports is quickly getting to the point where the grassroots esport organization pathway to success is not as clear and obvious as it used to be, right? It used to be, I mean, most of the organizations we have now started as grassroots projects, right? There's very few of your like Echo Fox type situations. And most of them are like, you know, a bunch of people started and they, and they built something up and gained a bunch of momentum. Now, like, you don't have one of those tentpole esports. You need to figure out a way to get there. And that often requires like losing money in the short term to try to build up a portfolio or to have a major investor come in and buy your way there. You can no longer just like spin something up and get there. And Counter-Strike is one of the few big money games out there where that is still possible. Dota to a, to a, a secondary degree, I'd say. Like there's certainly a lot of money in the international, but not as much money as like fielding a team throughout a season as there is in Counter-Strike. And Dignitas is, you know, very much a victim of that. They have not managed to maintain their spots in those tent poles, including the ones that don't have franchise models like Counter-Strike. And you are right. It's very much a rebuilding phase at this point. But it's a risky one because it doesn't necessarily, like, what, how, success in Rocket League is only going to carry you so far. When you do this model, you need to be successful across multiple games to build up enough money and revenue from these because you're also not going to break the bank buying a Rocket League team, but you're not going to necessarily have a giant windfall from having a World Championship Rocket League team either. So you need to be doing good in Rocket League, in Vainglory, in Smite, in Paladins, if that is your only outlet for generating revenue. If you do not have one of these tentpole esports, it's kind of a chicken and an egg problem at a certain point. So I agree this is a move you got to do. What are your other options at this point, right? Um, but the 76ers definitely have to feel like maybe they were sold some damaged goods that they hadn't done enough due diligence on, or they overestimated their ability to use the 76ers' name and power to try to do things like secure franchising in, in the NALCS. Like that's, yeah, well, I mean, that's definitely a big weakness. Because frankly, the 76ers have no name in esports. Like, it's, yep. if anything, it's almost to their detriment to jump into it. They have to battle back at the fact, like, here's a group of people that are likely jumping into it because, oh, they want to, you know, it's whenever you, you have like a, a big name group come into like this grassroots scene. Uh, it's the same kind of stigma. It's the fact that like, oh, they just, they're here for the money, they're here for doing whatever. And now, granted, they bought a, an actual brand. Uh, and they're in a lot of different areas, but like trying to say like, oh, we're the 76ers brand. It's going to, that's going to help us is actually not, not the case as we can see. If nothing else, people are like, oh, you bought Dignitas? How smart could you possibly be? Like they, they, <laughs> right. they were more willing they to take, have teams. <laughs> yeah, they were more willing to take new investment from from organizations like the Rockets and the Cavs that had no experience, and they were over uh, 76ers who basically probably thought they bought their way in by buying Dignitas. So it's very very interesting how that ended up working out. And there's clearly more to the story um, than this is leading on. But you know, they're they're making some moves. We'll see how that ends up working out for Dignitas. But. Um, I'm not bullish on this leading to anything major. I think this will really depend on if they get an EU. If they do not get an EU LCS, I don't think 76ers continue to roll Dignitas as an organization for much longer. That's my take on I can, it. I can agree to that. Yep. 
Awesome. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode. As always, you can check us out every Tuesday on iTunes, Overcast, Pocket Cast, iHeartRadio. Tune in and a feed available on our site at nerfthis.gg. And if you're not following us on the Twitters, you definitely should over at Nerf This Crew. We just announced our latest show, Esports Daily, which will be coming to you Monday through Friday, where Jules, Scott, and myself will be bringing you the top headlines. You can check that out in your Amazon Alexa Flash Briefing, or if you're more of a traditionalist, you can check that out at all the places you normally get your podcast including a place that this show is not yet but over on the google play store so if you've been missing us android users you can check us out over at google play and if you do like this show which a lot of you do please do leave us a review on itunes those reviews especially the uh, written ones help people discover the show which is great you know the more people that uh, give us feedback the more people get to uh, send us troll emails so you know we appreciate that uh, you can also check us out on the other social sites on facebook and instagram at nerf this gg and for the traditionalists you can shoot us a email over at show at nerf this dot gg and with that that is going to do it for this week's episode we will see everybody next week for another episode of nerf this. <laughs>